Welcome back to the program. 22 years ago, a relatively unknown governor of Arkansas was on the ropes in his presidential campaign. He had been accused of marital infidelity and with his wife by his side went on 60 Minutes to plead his case to the American people. The wife was even less known to the American people. So her comments in that interview with Steve Croft had particular resonance. Let's listen. You know, I'm not sitting here as some little woman standing by my man like Tammy Wynette. I'm sitting here because I love him and I respect him and I honor what he's been through and what we've been through together. And, you know, if that's not enough for people, then heck, don't vote for him. We're going to do the best we can to level with people and then we're going to let them make up their minds because I think if the American people get a chance and if they're trusted to exercise their vote right because people talk to them about real issues, this country will be okay. That's what we're betting on, and we're just going to roll the dice and see what happens. And roll the dice they did. Today, that woman, Hillary Rodham Clinton, has served eight years as First Lady, as a United States Senator from New York in the seat once held by Bobby Kennedy, and for four years as Secretary of State. She came just a few cracks in the glass ceiling short of the Democratic presidential nomination. It's a remarkable story by any political standard. An important part of that story is now told by my two guests, Jonathan Allen and Amy Parnes. Jonathan Allen covers the White House in the 2006 presidential campaign for Bloomberg News. He's an award-winning reporter who's written extensively about Congress and national politics. Amy Parnes is a senior White House correspondent for The Hill, and together they're the co-authors of HRC, State Secrets and the Rebirth of Hillary Clinton. Jonathan Allen, Amy Parnes, thanks so much for joining us. Thank Great to be with you. Us. Great to have you Quite here. Quite an accent on Hillary Clinton back in uh, 1992, huh? Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's just remarkable. And it really makes you realize, as you read your book and you look at Hillary's contemporary career, what a remarkable, strange journey it's truly been. Uh, it really has been. I mean, you know, this is sort of, uh, it's unprecedented in American history and in life in terms of, uh, you know, a first lady uh, running for the United States Senate, then becoming Secretary of State, serving uh, in the cabinet, and basically being a, a top advisor to two presidents of the United States, uh, you know, without even running for president in 2016. Uh, you know, I don't think it's a stretch to say she's the most uh, influential woman in American history in terms of, uh, in terms of government service and political leadership. Um, and so I, she's a fascinating character. I think all sort of aspects of uh, of her career are interesting. We obviously in this book focused on uh, the last five years, the right. political rise from the uh, the ashes of that 2008 campaign uh, all the way through, uh, basically through 2013, uh, what she's been doing, how she makes decisions, who she puts around her, uh, and how she might govern if she were president of the United States, because uh, you know we're, we're pretty convinced that she's running and uh, you know the American public deserves a, a chance to see what she's been up to. Amy, I want to talk about the fact that people that are even suspicious of her at first, people that think they might not like her, members of Congress, even people like Daryl Issa, wind up being able to do business with her, wind up liking her in so many respects. Talk a little about that. Someone called it uh, stages of Hillary to us, uh, and I found that interesting. But first it was, you know, they kind of dread working with her. Then they go into it and they say, oh, I guess, you know, it's kind of the acceptance phase. Like, I guess I have to work with her. And then they end up sort of, you know, gaining respect for her. And then they kind of like her. So they not only respect her, but they like her. And this was told to us by, by a Republican, um, a senior Republican, who, who was put in that situation. You know, he, he really dreaded it. 
And I think she has this tendency to do that. You know, we talk in, in great length about her relationship with David Petraeus um, in the book. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we found, you know, they scrapped in, in a 2007 hearing and she kind of had to fight to win him back. She invited him over for wine a couple of nights um, at, the, at her house. And then, you know, he en- long story short, he ends up saying that she would be a tremendous president. Um, if she were elected. So I think that kind of tells the story of, of how she works. And, and she is sort of the ulti- ultimate retail politician in that way. Beyond being a retail politician, Jonathan, how much of it comes from her ex- her ups and downs, her experience that she brings to it, not in terms of the traditional way we think about political experience, but the experience of being a grown-up, having been through so many of the things that these other leaders and politicians have been through, and understanding and empathizing with them on a certain level. Yeah, she certainly takes the long view, uh, knowing that sometimes the the you know what's right in front of you uh, can can feel uh, particularly tumultuous, particularly emotional. And she knows that uh, there are a lot of ups and downs in politics. She's been through them. Uh, I think that you know uh, the United States has watched her go through them. Uh, sometimes with sympathy, sometimes not. Uh, you know, we the 2008 election, you know, when she is riding high and she's a favorite, uh, you know, the, the public doesn't seem to like her as much when she's an underdog uh, as she was uh, after the, the first few primaries in, in 2008. You know, the, there seemed to be this uh, sort of interest in her as an underdog. So, uh, you know, I think I think she's she's got some perspective and that that's helpful to her, uh, particularly in crisis situations within government uh, in terms of uh, being able to take a, a step back from whatever's going on at the moment. One of the things you talk about, Jonathan, is this bias for action that she seems to have, and that goes hand-in-hand with a more hawkish, I guess, foreign policy attitude. To what extent is that view, is that political position, positioning as far as Hillary is concerned, or to what extent do we know it to be authentic in terms of the way her foreign policy views have evolved? It was politically fatal to her in 2008 to be the hawk, to be the person who had voted for the Iraq authorization compared to Barack Obama, who had, uh, who had uh, given a speech against uh, going into Iraq and called it a dumb war uh, with Democratic voters in a primary that was terrible positioning. Uh, it wasn't uh, something that was helpful to her. And then, you know, yet even when she goes into the administration uh, within the internal debates, whether it's the Afghan surge, going into Libya, uh, the Bin Laden raid, uh, she was constantly more hawkish than uh, the other Democrats in the room, sometimes even more hawkish than Bob Gates, the holdover Republican de- defense secretary. Uh, you know, I think at this point you have to judge it. You know, it's hard to know what's in someone's heart, but I think you have to judge this as a, as a pretty consistent thing from her, that she is uh, on the hawkish end of the Democratic Party. I think she looks at the use of uh, American power as, uh, you know, she, she subscribes to this philosophy of smart power where you use, all of the tools in the toolkit. You know, a lot of times Democrats want to use more carrots, Republicans want to use more sticks. I think she looks at, you know, offering economic incentives to other countries, all the way to using uh, that military tool as being acceptable, uh, you know, exertions of American power. And, and that doesn't sit well in the Democratic Party all the time. Uh, in fact, it was very hurtful, as I said, in the, in the 2008 election. Uh, in a general election, uh, it's probably better positioning. Amy, talk a little bit about this particular aspect of Hillary that she's been running for president for a long time, arguably, and you, and you talk about that in HRC. 
And yet she's always afraid of, or seems to be afraid of, raw ambition. She always wants to be drafted into a position or asked into a position. The two ideas seem to be at odds with each other. It's interesting, and we have her talking at great length about about that in the book. But I think she is, you know, she does believe in public service um, above all. Um, and and um, I know that sounds a little wonky and a little geeky and naive, perhaps, but I think that that's that's true for her and for her husband. You know, she she feels like she was put on this earth to serve, um, and and that's a philosophy that she has. So I think, you know, we talk about this um, when she when the president sort of tried to get her to take this job, he had to try again and. Again again and again to get her to take it. And then finally, you know, after many tries, she does accept it. But, you know, we, we kind of found out, well, why did she take it? And she, she basically, her view of it was that she, if she had been president, she would have wanted him to serve for her um, in, in the cabinet. So I think that's how she looked at it. Jonathan, talk a little bit about what happened at the end of the 2008 campaign, because she really did take stock of what went wrong and much of what she learned from that seems to be applicable to what she's doing today. Yeah, she had a series of, uh, and we go through this in the book, a series of uh, sort of post-mortem meetings with some of her uh, closest allies and consultants to find out what exactly went wrong on the campaign. I think she learned uh, from them that she had been over-reliant on uh, a small, loyal circle and not necessarily uh, hired the right people, people with, uh, you know, without sort of outside interests, uh, you know, uh, she'd hired people from the, the old Bill Clinton days, uh, not necessarily the people that were freshest uh, on, on the latest in campaign strategy. And particularly, uh, she was very well aware of the, the extent to which Barack Obama uh, kicked her butt in terms of technology, using uh, social media as a, a fundraising, political organizing, and communications tool. When she went into the State Department, I think particularly we use technology as sort of a, a, a window into to the way her approach changed. You know, she brought in Alec Ross, who had been a, uh, a leading figure in the Obama tech team. Uh, she uh, started relying on Jared Cohen, who was a Condi Rice protege, uh, a big innovator uh, within the State Department, who now is the head of Google Ideas, uh, and some other folks to try to uh, make the State Department's technological apparatus something that could help uh, American foreign policy in terms of trying to help organize uh, people that the United States, uh, you know, was interested in abroad, trying to solve problems, whether, you know, and this was a failed effort, but trying to uh, address uh, the, the problem of sexual violence in the Congo through, uh, you know, through uh, mobile messaging and GPS and things like that. So I think she realized the, the power of technology in, uh, in foreign policy and also, you know, moving forward into 2016, the ability to affect political movements domestically uh, is is very similar and in some ways easier than it is to do abroad. So we expect uh, that's something that you would see as a change in the 2016 election. I also, since we went back to 2008, just want to mention something because we're uh, talking to you in San Francisco. You know, one of the one of the other things that she did uh, and her aides did for her was put together a, a sort of hit list of uh, people that she saw as treacherous uh, during the, the or traitorous during the 2008 campaign. Uh, folks who would uh, either endorse Obama, who she thought should endorse her, or even some who remained neutral. And there were a lot of sort of lingering tensions over that. And, and you know, Bill Clinton went out on the campaign trail to avenge some of that. Uh, but particularly, as mentioning San Francisco, one of the people she had a, a big problem with in 2008 was uh, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And we go into the book uh, into into some scenes where there are aides trying to prevent the two of them from running into each other in a building because 
uh, as, as somebody told us, it would have been a problem, the, the relationship there's so frosty. Now Nancy Pelosi is endorsing uh, Hillary Clinton for 2016. So uh, what a difference a few years made. Indeed. And talk a little bit about a few years difference, eight years difference, and how, if at all, Amy, her worldview has changed at all. I mean, the world is arguably a slightly different place than it was in 2008. And the degree to which she has adapted to that, or arguably, in some respects, her personality and her view might be more fitting for 2016. Uh, it is. It's true. Um, she, you know, it's one of the reasons her aides say that she doesn't want to, um, she might not run because she doesn't, she sees how, you know, the even the uh, elections have changed so dramatically. You know, there's Twitter and there's the constant, you know, 24-hour news cycle, which keeps getting worse um, for, from their perspective. So I think that's one reason why, you know, one of the things, the factors that might keep her out of a race. But, you know, I think she goes into this as one of the most, you know, experienced people running for office. You know, she, even before in 2008, she was a senator. Yes, she'd served, but she was a first lady and then a senator. And didn't some people were saying, even President Obama at the time was saying, what, you know, what makes her qualified to be president? You know, she was having tea parties with foreign leaders and all this. So now she can really tout her experience um, as Secretary of State as she goes into 2016. It's also the broader experience of just being around Washington and being around politics and maybe the realization in the electorate in general that the new, new thing is not always the answer and that there's a kind of counter-programming to that that she fits perfectly into, Jonathan. Well, I think that, uh, you know, We've seen in Washington for many years, I would say uh, essentially since uh, the, the Johnson-Nixon years, uh, candidates running as complete outsiders, uh, the, the one exception to that George H.W. Bush in, uh, in 1988. But uh, generally speaking, people want to run as complete outsiders. They say they're going to bring change to Washington, you know, not, not the same old. You know, I think Johnson and Nixon together did a lot to, to uh, hurt the public trust over the years. Uh, it's impossible for Hillary Clinton to run as an outsider. And in 2008, she ran uh, on experience, and it was a bad thing. Uh, it would be interesting to see if uh, by 2016 there's a, a different feeling in the electorate about whether you might need somebody with a pretty good, uh, pretty good handle for the inside to, to make reform from the inside, to make change from the inside. Uh, I don't know if the public is there. I think people pretty much hate Washington <laughs> at this point, whether they think it's too uh, too liberal or too conservative or not doing enough or doing too many things. Uh, there's, there seems to be a hatred, but uh, it will be interesting to see how, um, you know, should she run, and we, we expect she probably will, uh, to see how a candidate uh, with the, the sort of credentials and the ability to maneuver within within government does. The extension of that, of course, is that people may hate Washington, but they also, by and large, realize they're stuck with it. And maybe it's better to have somebody from the inside than the outside. I think we saw that with President Obama. You know, some people are saying they have a bit of buyer's remorse uh, right now um, because he, you know, there, there was kind of nice to have this fresh idea, this fresh guy who didn't really have much experience come in here but you know some say that does, that didn't really help in the last few years um and, and one good thing about hillary clinton they say is that you know she actually knows 
every, she knows how the system works and she knows how to work the system. Um, and, and that's something that I think you're going to hear. You know, it's, it's good, both good and bad for her. They're going to say, oh, this is the establishment candidate. But she also really knows where everything is. She knows, she knows the people. She knows she's familiar with this town. She knows how to operate it. So I think that's, that's one big strength she might have going for her. How does she balance in a coming campaign being focused on issues on the one hand versus Hillary Clinton as a personality on the other? And how does she walk that line, Jonathan? I think it's a very difficult line to walk. We've seen even in the last week or so these uh, papers from uh, her her friend, uh, her deceased friend, Diane Blair, uh, you know, to talk about her sort of personal reactions to a variety of things, both public policy issues and Monica Lewinsky scandal, the Bob Packwood scandal, and I think, you know, it's, it, it is hard for any candidate uh, to talk just about policy and not a personality. I mean, at, at the end of the day, I think most voters, uh, you know, have a gut level reaction to candidates and, and pull the lever based on uh, based on that gut reaction to the candidates. Some of which is personality, a lot of which is personality. Um, I, you know, I think she was liked better on the campaign trail, as I was saying before, as an underdog. I think she was liked better on the campaign trail when she, uh, when she sort of brought down her shield. Uh, you know, she talked about uh, recently about uh, candidates, particularly women in public policy and the public arena, needing to have the skin of a rhinoceros. Uh, at times, that has served her well in her career, but uh, in terms of running for president, people feeling comfortable with who she is and, and you know, potentially liking her, uh, you know, the, the skin of a rhinoceros may not be the best approach. It may be that she has to let that guard down a little bit. Amy, how has the broader landscape of more women in the political process helped or impacted how she might run in 2016? I think it's definitely helped her in a way. Um, And I think one thing that you can see her do um, in 2016, you know, one of the biggest lessons she learned from 2008 is that she didn't really embrace the fact that she was a woman a woman candidate the way that President Obama embraced the fact that he was African-American. So I think one thing that one big change that we'll see in 2016 is her really appealing to the women vote um, and and you know, talking about the fact that she's a woman. And as John mentioned earlier, you know, people want to see that side of her. They they wanted to see that moment in New Hampshire where she cried during the primary. You know, they, they felt like that showed, they shed some light on, on her in a way. So I think that I think she realizes that. She realizes that those things sort of humanized her. She learned that quite a bit at the State Department. You saw her kind of um, you know, have a little more fun, let down her hair. Um, there was that that famous text with Hillary meme, um, and you know, you saw her having a beer and dancing. And I think she feels a little more comfortable in her own skin right now. So I think that's that's all going to play a factor in her race. Talk a little bit, Jonathan, about how she ran at the end of the 2008 campaign, which was a much better campaign than the one that she started out with, and a little bit about how that might work or not work in 2016. So part of that was a shakeup. Uh, she got rid of her first campaign manager, Patty Solis Doyle. She brought in Maggie Williams, uh, who's a, a longtime uh, advisor to her. Cheryl Mills was uh, given more authority. Uh, Cheryl Mills ended up being the, the chief of staff at the State Department, uh, and I think she started listening more to, uh, you know, to to a certain set of advisors who who encouraged her to really, uh, you know. In, like I was talking about before, let the guard down a little bit. Uh, and I think she also just naturally started to do that. Uh, you know, she's tenacious uh, and somebody who gets up off the mat when she gets knocked down 
and I think the public really likes them. I think the danger for her in 2016 is running, uh, you know, whether it's by choice or by being forced by the rest of us uh, in, the, in the media sphere, uh, you know, running as an inevitable candidate, running as a front runner that uh, she, she doesn't appeal well that way. Uh, running as an underdog, uh, scrapping, people seem to, to have a lot more appreciation for her. So if she can figure out how to run as an underdog, even when she's the favorite, uh, I think that'll go a long way toward uh, helping her into candidacy in 2016. Is it going to make any difference, Amy, whether or not she has any kind of real primary challenge or not? Is that going to impact her and impact how she runs? Uh, that remains to be seen, I think. But, I, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see if, if Vice President Biden jumps in. And, you know, we talk a little bit about that in the book, about how their relationship, they have a very close relationship. Um, we, we talk about this one scene in the book where after she gives her <laughs> famous Denver convention speech, she um, he runs into the... Um, She's, she gets off the stage and she's in a holding room and he runs into the holding room and drops to his knees um, and his hands are in the air and he's praising her. So if he does choose to run, and some people say that he might not run against her, um, but he's definitely keeping his, his options open according to AIDS. But that would be an interesting race for sure. Talk a little bit about the influence of Bill Clinton. Obviously, it was both the plus and the minus in the 2008 campaign, as you talk about, and how it might be different this time around. Jonathan? Well, I think what we've seen over the past uh, several election cycles is the what I would call the Goldilocks uh, uh, you know, paradigm for, for Bill Clinton. You know, Al Gore in 2000 distanced himself from Bill Clinton. A lot of people thought that uh, that was one of the reasons that uh, you know Gore didn't run away with the 2000 election. That that was a bad idea. Um, you know, Bill Clinton's popularity at the time had had rebounded sufficiently. Um, and then in 2008, Hillary Clinton uh, sort of let Bill Clinton do his thing uh, and interact a lot with the press and freelance, and that wasn't very good for her because he was undisciplined on the campaign trail. He ended up becoming the story a lot. Uh, I think there were still questions as, as to whether. Uh, you know the degree to which he would influence a Hillary Clinton uh, presidency or overshadow in some in some ways. Uh, and then in 2012, what you saw from Barack Obama was, uh, you know, a very sort of disciplined Bill Clinton uh, on the campaign trail. I think the Obama people were very good at handling him uh, in terms of getting him, you know, excited and energized about the campaign by uh, by talking to him about the you know what was going on on the ground. Bill Clinton said he wanted to be helpful. The Obama people said, great. We're going to send you out as a surrogate to give speeches uh, to key constituencies you know, in, in important parts of the country, but we don't really want you doing interviews. Uh, we don't want you freelancing, saying things that might be off message. Uh, and, and that seemed to work very well for the Obama campaign. If Hillary Clinton can uh, impose the same kind of uh, discipline in the way that Bill Clinton has used for her campaign, he can be a tremendous asset for her. Uh, you know, but, uh, Obama has called him the explainer-in-chief. Uh, everybody in the United States realizes his uh, capacity to boil down particularly uh, complex uh, economic issues into really simple uh, ideas for voters. If, if she can do that, uh, he's a net positive for her. On the other hand, uh, if she can, it raises all those questions that she doesn't want to answer about, uh, about co-presidency, about, uh, you know, about whatever issue it is that he's talked about that is uh, you know, out of sync with her message. And, of course, he has his own political ideas. They're sometimes at odds with the political strategy that her inner circle wants to pursue. And, you know, even in reporting this book, we saw those two worlds coming into conflict sometimes. So uh, it's a huge question facing her going into 2016. 
And Amy, one of the things you talk about in the book is that as brilliant a political strategist as Bill Clinton is, that there's this blind spot that he seems to have with respect to strategy for Hillary. He does. And we saw that in particular, you know, we have this one anecdote in the book where um, they're working on this speech in Denver that I just talked about a few minutes ago. And um, she goes to rehearse it. She comes back and she's wor- she's talking to her aides and she's basically going through it. And she notices that it's changed pretty dramatically. And she looks up at her aides and she says, what happened here? And they said, oh, you know, um, your husband had delivered edits. He had added some poetic flourishes to this. And she reacts and says, well, this is my speech. And she goes, she um, leaves the room to go find him and discuss it. But basically, you know, it was her aides kind of piecing back together what the original speech had, maybe with a couple of his poetic flourishes um, in there. But, you know, I think these, these two, um, their two worlds, as John said, kind of come into conflict at times. You know, they have the same goal, but they have different strategies of getting there at times. And, um, and I think we, we talk about that in great detail in the book. The New York Times Magazine recently had a cover story about Hillary referring to her as as Planet Hillary. But one of the things you do talk about in the book is that she is truly her own person, that she has her own people around her, that she's really established her own independent political identity. What was the tipping point? When did that happen with respect to her no longer being a moon around Bill and being her own planet? Both of you. Amy, you first. Um, Well, I think it it happened over time. You know, I think um, when she came into the Senate, there was still this very much this notion that she had been riding her husband's coattails to get in there. And I think um, both sides would kind of agree. But I think she's established her own brand right now. You know, I think there's some times where I look at her and I actually forget about him. And that's that's quite astonishing when you think about it. Um, But I think there's a very big effort right now to sort of separate the two and to make her her own person. Yeah, I really think that uh, this this last job in particular, where she was selected by somebody else, you know, the first time that uh, that there wasn't the the sort of Bill Clinton overhang on uh, on what she was doing, really allowed her to emerge as a a separate entity. I mean, obviously, for those who have uh, watched her closely and have known them for a long time, uh, you know, the idea that Hillary Clinton is anything but uh, her, her sort of her own. Uh, own person with her own skills and, and qualities as a public policy person and a politician. Uh, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a strange idea that that she's entirely eclipsed. But she, but for I think the general public, she was for many years seen as somebody riding Bill Clinton's coattails. And with Obama's selection of her and her serving that capacity by herself, I think she really emerged as uh, her own person. And I think you know, in, in a lot of ways, this is the uh, you know the the waxing of of Hillary Clinton's star and the waning of. Uh, Bill Clinton's in a way that he is now in that sort of sur- supportive surrogate role rather than uh, as as the leader of the family's political operation. Uh, it's really fascinating. I mean, I think, you know, we wrote this book over, about the last four years, but I think there will be many, many books written about this, uh, you know, the, the power couple that sort of defines the term, at least in American politics. And finally, do, you, do either of you think that there's even the remotest chance that she will not run? <laughs> Remote. Very, very remote. <laughs> remote like Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> Which may not even be a planet anymore, that remote. There you go. <laughs> Jonathan Allen, Amy Parnes. The book is HRC, State Secrets and the Rebirth of Hillary Clinton. It's just out from Crown. Jonathan, Amy, thanks so much for spending time with us today. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Take care. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. <laughs> 